The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Okay, Michael Clifford, I remember that Monty Python used to have, I think, a minister for silly walks. Now we have a minister for silly voices in Britain. Yeah, I mean, Matt, when I first came across this, I just couldn't stop looking at it. I, it's just hilarious stuff. Unbelievable that a government minister, a, pro, a prospective uh, prime minister, who was one of the in main... In his own mind only. Possibly, yeah. Who was one of the main Brexiteers. The man, remember, who said we're fed up of uh, experts, no more experts, um, what was going through his head? I just don't... It also... It, it, it reminded me, actually, the, when Vincent Brown had the... You followed him in, on the Tonight Show on, on uh, Virgin Me. One time, Michal Martin was on. And it wasn't in a disrespectful way, but it was kind of more in a descriptive way. He did a kind of an effort at a Chinese accent. Vincent I mean, did from I mean, it was... One thing was <laughs> we care on who said it. But, I mean, this sort of... Just clarify, it wasn't Taoiseach, I think, wasn't it? Or he wasn't Taoiseach at the time. Oh, he wasn't Taoiseach at the time. No, yeah. no, he would have been, he would have been was, minister. But it wasn't Vincent who tried the accent. Yeah, yeah. OK. Um, <laughs> but the, Vincent tried an accent another night, actually. But anyway, that's another thing. What sort but, of accent uh, did he try? I, I remember saying to him that I thought it sounded Swedish, but I think he was attempting to be oh Turkish God, that's or something. that's a clip you have to dig out. Well, um, <laughs> but this stuff, like, is off the wall completely. Where the, No, he's obviously somebody who would appear to be under pressure under a great deal of pressure for whatever reader, whether it's reason, whether it's professional or personal, I haven't a clue. But um, it's off the wall completely. Laura, it struck me as been sort of almost like the an attempt to put inverted commas around words. I know, it was like it was like something that Alan Partridge would be really proud of. It, but I thought... Well, the day-to-day. Like, day. yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I was like you, Mick, I was, I couldn't, I was like, stop looking, this is so bad, it's beyond cringe. But like, all I could think of was my grandmother would say, what in the name of God is wrong with these guys in the commons at the moment. Like, they just seem so away with the fairies, essentially. And, okay, bad turn of phrase based on what was said in the doll recently. But, you know, this is a guy, like, it, it would be different if it was some sort of a chat show, six o'clock show, maybe. He was riffing about something that isn't serious. But this is about a cost of living crisis on the BBC. You couldn't get any more serious at a serious time. This time calls for serious politicians. And, I mean, even invoking the Scouse accent, it was just so bad, you know. You could kind of forgive him for the Americanism because oh. some people would probably, you know, probably slip into it. But this, like, Barry, Danny, and Gary sort of uh, Harry Enfield. It's a good Scots accent, yeah, Laura. Yeah. So, no, I'd be cancelled <laughs> now for that. But it just—I just thought this guy is the last person who you need in this job right now. The last time I remember him being prominent, though, in a lot of media coverage was he went clubbing in his home constituency of Aberdeen at about two in the morning, demanding entry to a place where I think nearly everyone was at least twenty years younger than him. Yeah, he's like a man, as I say, he's under a bit of pressure, some kind of pressure, because he, he's certainly, uh, he's, he's gone off reservation a small bit. I think there's no doubt about that. Like, like, you like know. a lot of Boris Johnson's cabinet. Yeah, and, but the, the, the clip itself, the other interesting aspect of it is in some versions of it, they showed the interviewer, I don't know which channel she was on, but this, um, the presenter, her face started, you can see that she's looking to say, what's going on here? It was like... But they, I think putting these guys on breakfast... TV is genius because there's been a few Kay Burley moments with the cabinet over the last few months, you know, where I think they sort of, I don't know, maybe they're just, that's just their style. They think they're going for the relaxed breakfast show thing. But, you know, somebody needs to have a serious word with them. Maybe they're just, I, I do think like, look, you know, his Labour opposite uh, did make the point that this is a very serious point. You know, it's a very serious time. Cost of living crisis is nothing to be laughing at. And, you know, she said this is not an Oxford debate. They're very much from the stable, the Oxford deba- debate stable where that is maybe okay, but it's not okay in public life. 
Yeah, one listener says, I said about the Minister for Silly Walks, so he's now the Minister for Silly Talks, is uh, Michael <laughs> That's got to stick. Okay, what about Leo Varadkar's fridge, Laura? Why do we know about the contents of Leo Varadkar's fridge? Well, like, if, you know, if Gov is the Minister for Silly Talk, well, Leo might be the Minister for Social Media, you know, he's one of the Minister these... for Oversharing? Yeah, well, I mean, there is that, like, social media lends itself to that, and, and Instagram is very much the, the platform where people kind of give a bit more of their personality, and uh, Leo just showed the inside of the contents of his fridge, very proud about his, you know, his meals all set up for the next week. Uh, all I could think of was like most of the mammies in the country would be thinking, oh, if I could ever get to that point where, you know, we all start off with these ideas that we're going to be on top of the meals for the week, but it never comes to this. But, you know, he's I mean, he did admit in a podcast a few years ago that he was he felt he had uh, gained too much weight and now he's very conscious about his health and, you know, he trains and that sort of thing. And that's to be admired. So, I mean, super organised is all I can say about the fridge. Michael, I remember a TV documentary been made, oh, it must be nearly 14, 15 years ago about candidates for the election. That's right. And he was in it. And I think he actually showed his fridge then. And it was empty. That's right. He was and a he, single he, man he, living in an apartment at he, the time. He was. And he, he, he looked like a man that wasn't in the best of mental health or whatever at the time. Do you know what I mean? He was somebody who, see, who, who didn't seem very pleased with his lot or whatever. Stressed. Well, Stressed, yeah. yeah, exactly. Campaigning for election can be stressful. Abs- abs- absolutely. But... I mean, as you say, it's a complete contrast to what's here. I mean, apart from the the, the organisation, as Laura was saying, which is, I, I can't get my head around Something it. To behold. The, the the showing of this to everybody from a senior minister to the past and most likely future Taoiseach, um, it's kind of a, a bit of a sad reflection on politics, like in the way we're doing it at the moment. You, you know? see, he's it's very he's very it's very on brand for him, really. When you think about all the announcements through COVID, and he you know, quotes from like popular, you know, 1990s movies and that sort of thing. It's very him. You know, there was talk uh, this week about how Michal Martin has gained a lot more favour with voters because he seemed to, you know, put himself forward as this presidential type figure throughout the last year or so. And I think Leo is still hanging on to that sort of space. And maybe he's right. Maybe they're the future voters. I mean, the first thing I can't get over is the amount of Tupperware and how it matches. I can't find Tupperware anywhere. The, the other thing is, is, is there could be a bit of competition there because Michal Martin, as we all saw, is an extremely healthy eater. Uh, I, I remember following in the last they're, general... They're trying to out-six-pack each other. There could well be. Well, you know, they, in fairness, I, saw, I remember following Michal Martin the last election. We were down at a farmer's market in uh, Cork and Douglas and he had his refill bottle for his juices and his bag for life. And uh, I, you know, I agree, the, the, Mick, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I hope I'm right, I do think he's plant-based, the shock, and I often wonder why he doesn't make more of it, but I suppose he doesn't want to upset the farmers on that front, maybe. Sorry, I can assume that neither of them are uh, meal deal purchasers with something that the HSE is now giving out about. Or no, one you of can guarantee. Yeah, so, I mean, look, there's no, no kind of denying, uh, you know, the latest research shows that we do have an obesity uh, epidemic, I suppose, in this country, and uh, a HSE uh, spokesperson recently on air saying that meal deals should be banned. So you know yourself, you're under pressure. You're pulling into a petrol station off one of the uh, the motorways, and you buy your sandwich. Now you might go in for a coffee and a sandwich, and then the person at the desk will say, "Do you know you get a packet of crisps with that, or you can bu- take a bit of fruit?" Nine times out of ten, you're probably going to take the crisps. So. He was saying that this is not a good model for healthy eating. And look, no one can disagree with them. But uh, retailers are saying that this is not a very good model for them because in a cost of living crisis, when people are trying to afford cheaper food, it's not the way to go.
I have to say I went into a petrol station recently with three children, one of them my own, all nine after playing a football match. And I said, I'm going to find something healthy for them. And I came out with three slushies because I couldn't find anything remotely healthy. They wouldn't look at the fruit for starters. But yeah, so I mean, there's a there's look, you can't argue with them. No, I mean, Don Lachey is bearing uncomfortable truths in the same way that people who are talking to us about the climate change are doing some people don't want to hear it. And we saw here Vincent Jennings, his chief executive of Convenience Stores and News Agents Association, said this is coming from somebody who is in a cocoon from people who have real concerns related to the cost of living. That's a complete cop-out, I'm afraid. I mean, you know, it's no doubt that there's a health problem. It's costing money. It's costing in, pe- in terms of people's health. And knocking out something like have the meal deals but ensure that there's a healthy element in it rather than the fatty sweet or sugar and salt um, ones that they want to push on all of us uh, Listener Cahill says what are you and the other media people talking about at this moment Govan's antics not the destructive policies they're pursuing it's deliberate diversion tactics look over there I understand what you're saying Cahill but we actually did a substantial piece on yesterday's programme about how the British are dealing with the Northern Ireland protocol at the moment and uh, so we're not ignoring or avoiding the significant real issues it's just it's Friday and we just want to have a little bit of amusement as a result of some of the things that the politicians get up to. But I do understand what you're talking about. Deliberate diversions or distractions. Donald Trump was a master at the old distractions and Boris Johnson's given him a run for his money in that regard. We have lots more stories in the week trending to talk to Mick Clifford and Laura Byrne about when we come back, including how calling a man bald can now be considered harassment. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Okay, Lorbert, tell us about this story about how calling a man bald has been considered harassment at a tribunal. Not in Ireland, at least, I think. Yeah, we should, we should qualify this with saying this is in the UK and no one panic yet. But uh, so obviously hair loss, uh, it affects a lot more men than women. And uh, commenting on a man's baldness now in the workplace is the equivalent of remarking on the size of a woman's breasts, according to a judge. So really? this is to do with an, an electrician that was with a company in, uh, where was he, in West Yorkshire. And he's in line for compensation after this case. So uh, a colleague referred to him, obviously after falling out, referred to him as a bald, let's, uh, a, a very serious swear word that I am definitely not saying on air. Which so, is probably more offensive than being called bald. 100%. Yeah. So so uh, off they go to the, to the trial. Tribunal and the judge Jonathan Brain deliberating whether the remarking on his baldness was a serious an issue or not. And uh, he found that this is strong language, although, as we find, industrial language was commonplace in the West Yorkshire factory floor, which we all know is pretty much the same any in every factory of floor office, of anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he's a, so they're saying it was industrial language, but it was a, a particularly affronted at being called bald, the panel found. So, uh, Why? Was it factually incorrect? Well, this is the thing, I suppose. I mean, when you think about it, it's one of those phrases... It's it's a little like the word fat. It's it's descriptive, but it's it's low. I wouldn't say it was as loaded as that word, but according to this judge, uh, now it is. God, I, I, I'm only saying this, and I don't want to offend anyone, but there was a time when people routinely would be called. I remember, even on this program, slaphead. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you wouldn't do it now, would you? No, you wouldn't. And as, as somebody with a thinning hair, I'm beginning to feel harassed myself at this stage. Like, you know, I'd be heading for that uh, territory before too long. But it, 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 is, it is over the top. I mean, do you know what I mean? There's no question about it. I love the particular description, as, as they said. So it is much more likely that a person on the receiving end of a remark such as that made by Mr. King would be male. 
Mr King made a remark with a view to hurting the claimant by commenting on his appearance, which is often found amongst men. So, Mike, I've got to have to do this because I, I, we've known each other 40 oh, years. I don't like stage. this. But, I mean, if I described you as a balding hack, would you be offended? Oh, the balding or the hack? <laughs> See, that's exactly... <laughs> What about balding? I'm not exactly balding, balding yet, Matt. <laughs> Matt, I, I, you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, we'll give it a year or two yet, like, I, I, I suppose we're at that point now. We have to say follically challenged, isn't that? That's that the word. We'll yeah, all have yeah, to say now. Yeah. You know, I are, mean, our language you, is monitored so much now because of social media. And we're all careful not to offend. And I suppose this is what happens. Um, language is evolving, but I'm not so sure if it's evolving for our better. Uh, and just on, on that theme, the, the the best description ever of actually was a haircut was uh, Martin Amos's a, a rogue rethink. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Listen, said, if you remarked on somebody's weight, it would be considered serious. So why not baldness? No one wants to be bald, and anyone that hates it, and anyone that is hates it, even if they don't admit it. I don't know. I, 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 I don't think I that's think an true. A lot of people embrace. I mean, yeah. a lot of people decide to shave their they remaining do, hair yeah. off, and actually quite like doing that and look very well with it. Yeah, they look great. I mean, one of these days, unfortunately, I might be heading for that territory well, I mean, myself. It, it, is more, it is more common now for a lot, I, I know a lot of young guys, say in their 30s, early 40s, who are getting the hair plugs and more power to them and it does look great. So I don't know, is there, you know, there's a certain, depends, people have options now, but look, at, I, look, I think there, he should have been more concerned about the second word, as you say, Matt, than the first. Okay. Uh, the retirement of the iPod, Mick, is an interesting one because modern technology goes so quickly, doesn't it? I mean, it's only, what is it, 20 years since the iPod became such yeah. an important part of music lovers' lives? Maybe I, a little more than 20 years. Yeah, it? and the other thing that struck me, Matt, when I saw this story, was I began to realise I'm I, I sort of very late in listening to, through my phone. So I was using the iPod up until... It's two or three years ago. I'd really, say. I'd say it wasn't too too far beyond that. I just, I just didn't. I just, I just loved the arrangement of it, the way you've all your, your, your all your songs. Of course, this is before I discovered. Um, my brain's gone dead now. <laughs> the iPhone. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the music app. Spotify. 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 Jeez, my friend. I thought you were going to say the Sony but you know, I, I went to that. I suddenly no, discovered no, the Sony But do you know what? I could bring my discs with my speakers and speed the music in. I, I, look, I know this might be a bit Neanderthal, but even with the iPod, there was something about gathering your favourite tunes and putting them on one file. On Spotify, it's a crazy thing to say, it's nearly just too easy. Yeah, I hear you. I hear, I, I agree. I, I mean, it drove me mad the way you had to run through. I couldn't find the tracks half the time, but there was a sense of ownership. Yeah. You know, I, like I'd be of the generation started with vinyl, went to CD or tapes, then CDs. And I loved having the CD rack where you go, oh, I like that. I'll try that. And now then the iPod came. You had a sense of ownership, but it dro- drove me mad with the transfer of the files and the downloading all of that stuff. I mean, like Spotify, as you say, it is so it's easy. Too but you easy. can't keep yes. up. Yeah. yeah, I can't keep up with it. I don't know where all the stuff is now, and so yeah. But doesn't don't things move on so quickly? When the iPod came along, and everyone thought this is great, this is going to be something that you'd have for God knows how long, and then the phone yeah. subsumes it, and then streaming comes along instead of downloading. It's the obsolescence. We we live in the era of obsolescence, you know, and everything's being disrupted all the time. You used to go to your local takeaway and pick up your takeaway and go home. Now somebody with a on a bike delivers it. Or, as we heard Bobby Healy last night telling us, a drone, which is what his ambitions are, is that everything will be delivered by drone. Okay, something else I want to talk about is um, 
money being spent perhaps really badly this week, what should we make of $195 million been spent on an Andy Warhol portrait, Laura, of Marilyn Monroe? Yeah, so this is Andy Warhol's um, famous Marilyn Monroe portrait and it sold uh, there at Christie's, was it, there during the week for a hundred and... Forgive me now, I haven't got my notes. 195 million. I don't know if anyone saw the Warhol documentary recently on Netflix. I have no, to say... is it worth watching? It is really worth watching. I had studied him a bit in college way back and I thought I knew enough about him. I always found, you know, people say he's the he's the inventor of, of mass media culture and, you know, an interesting enough figure and, and, and a recluse and, and, you know, like way ahead of his time, I suppose. But... When you think about now, we're talking about art and NFTs and Banksy and all of the way art has changed. He was the original of that. Uh, I, I still I find it very hard to, to to subscribe to this idea of the value of something that that is so modern looking. You know, we, we're taught to think of old art as something that has value, but it was it was bought by an art collector, so it's probably something that'll be held in one of his art collections in New York and held privately for nobody to see. Yeah, yeah. that's the point. What do you what do you do with one hundred ninety million? One hundred ninety five million. The vendors are giving a substantial chunk of it to a charitable foundation. Yeah, well, f- fair enough. But I'm just wondering about what, what do you do with a piece of art like that when you buy it? Like, you know, you can't enjoy it unless you're sitting there in your own, in your uh, back garden. Um, oh, well, I mean, it's the preserve of the of the oligarchs now, isn't it? Of yeah. the billionaires. And uh, I don't know. I, look, it's, not, it's certainly not your or my scene. We're not going to go out and spend tens of millions on it. I, I would urge anyone to watch the documentary, though, because he he had a, a really interesting relation with uh, Jean-Paul uh, Bascoat. He was really... Really, uh, he was the last person who had the highest value um, art piece sold, and he was an amazing character. So I, th- yeah. I think also though, tapped into the, the whole iconism of uh, Marilyn Monroe. I mean, really, I was just reading a different book recently, just the way she featured in it in terms of relations with Jack Kennedy. But she was such a, a tragic figure, and at the same time, you know, she she's lived forever, and it's uh, it's just really interesting from that I point of view. Probably no coincidence that you know it's come up around the time it's, it's sold around the time that Kim Kardashian is wearing Marilyn Monroe's dress there last week at the Met Gala and got a bit of stick for saying how she had like a cabbage. Which, which diet I heard once, once she got inside the place, she had to take it off. <laughs> she walked from the she walked from the car into the Met Gala with it, but she couldn't even sit down to eat her dinner with so it. She, she wasn't going to, to eat a dinner, Mick. There wasn't a hope for eating dinner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one just one last one. Um, Mick, you and I come from a generation probably where when at some stage when you wore out your shoes or your boots or your runners, you got rid of them and you tried to replace them if you could with new ones. But uh, tell us about these, um, I don't even know how to pronounce the type of trainers that they are, or boots, uh, distressed looking, costing €1,500. Yeah, these are, I mean, and there's something really off about them because you said they're distressed looking. They're basically battered runners. It's like you got them out of the skip. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they're selling them for that that kind of money. And no, you're going to pronounce so, the name properly. Again. Well, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not in the demographic, but Balenciaga. So if ever there was a, a sign that the emperor has new clothes, this is it. So they have these owl. I mean, they're like a pair of runners that you fish out of a skip after you, it's gone through the, the the dump. Like it's they're horrendous looking. They've been dragged through a bush backwards, and they're selling them for, I suppose, over twelve hundred sterling. So probably about fifteen hundred. Uh, Euro and you know obviously they're getting absolutely slated online over it but this is I mean these brands do this all the time this I mean 
I think it's about essentially if you're if you can sell this stuff and tell people it has value and they believe you, then that's it. That's that's how it works. I must and get an in into that. Yeah, maybe we could do something like Leo's fridge, like <laughs> post our raggedy old shoes yeah. and see if yeah. someone buys them. NFTs for them. Okay, thank you, Laura Byrne from the Journal.ie, uh, Michael Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner. A uh, lot of listener comments. In our family, you just about get the confirmation out of your hair. I'm bald and I'm proud. But another one says, yes, it is offensive to call somebody bald. It is not a choice. Another one says, uh, 195 million euro on a painting that will appreciate rather than lose money in negative interest rates are deflating stock prices, says Brian in Dublin, or indeed cryptocurrency. Given that that scam is really starting to implode. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Dublin's electricity system needs an upgrade. Our population is growing, and our energy usage is too. That's why Airgrid, state-owned operator of Ireland's electricity transmission grid, is powering up Dublin. We're shaping Dublin's electricity future, upgrading underground cables to future-proof our power system and bring more renewable energy onto the grid. Find out more at airgrid.ie forward slash Dublin. Airgrid, delivering a cleaner energy future.